some terrible play calling and managing on the part of Bill O'Brien, the arse-chinned gobshite. So hello and welcome to All Four Quarters, your one-stop shop for news, views and overreactions to all things NFL. We've hit it, we're down to the final four. The four best teams, question mark, we'll uh, figure that out, I suppose. So hey, we got Connor here, in from Iraq again, and we got Ronan. Hello. All the way from Cork, bye. How's tricks? Which is more dangerous, you know, probably, probably Cork on average. Probably know? Cork, yeah. You get the occasional like firework coming from Iran over in Erbil, but like it's nothing really too serious. No. Uh, <laughs> also, I've seen this pure fire meme game happening. I think I saw you on, uh, on on Facebook turned up on Irish Simpsons fans memes earlier. Did you? Yeah, I had a had a go at it there. <laughs> Old man attempts humor. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, but yeah, like just been tipping around here in Cork. Uh, yeah, that post was inspired by. There's a big election happening in Ireland now. Hilarious. It'll be great, I'm sure. I think there's a few people that we know who will be running uh, down here in Cork. Uh, Lorna will be running, and a few other people are running around the country, I think. Yeah, we uh, So, yeah, should be interesting. Keep an eye on it. A few, three weeks of that. So, mm. you know, cold winter election. We'll see how that goes. Nothing like it. Nothing like it. Uh, it's it's uh, Election date is like the 8th of February, isn't it, or something? Yeah. A Saturday. Very... Very, very convenient, I suppose, mm. for people who have kids and stuff like that. Uh, less convenient, I suppose, for people who have their holiday on Saturday. If you want to have a, if you want to have an interesting time, uh, conspiracy hats on. This is all Irish election stuff for all of our American listeners. That's going on. Uh, they've called a, an election now, but um, they have you register to vote, uh, but they don't automatically update it every year. So it seems that there's a there's a chance that a lot of people who registered in the last nine months will not be allowed to vote in the upcoming election. Because uh, Ireland is a hotbed of copped on and just sensible policy. Um, but yeah, we have a lot of American football to actually get through this week because even though there's only a couple of games, you know, this is the coaching carousel time of the year. Uh, so let's start with a couple of head coaching moves. Carolina have hired Baylor as Matt Rule as their head coach on a seven-year deal. This is a monster one, particularly for someone who's not got any pro experience from beforehand. Uh, this is a guy who was rumored to be going to the New York Giants or that they really wanted. He turned around two different uh, school programs after scandals. Um he is highly touted as being a great man coming in, both at game planning and in-game calling as well. Uh, they've also hired DC Phil Snow from Baylor and offense coordinator Joe Brady from LSU. So this is an all-college, all-new program coming in. So one, interesting, possibly new and exciting and innovative, but two, also an interesting decision to be made when it comes to Cam Newton. Yeah, so I think... With a contract this long, it gives him flexibility. So if he wants, if he doesn't think there's someone coming out of, out of the college system or perhaps less likely in the free agent class that he wants, he could certainly stick with Cam Newton. He's got like a 19 million cap hit. And, yeah, he's cheap you know, as chips. Give him a try. So I think he could do that if he wanted to um, as a transition, if he thinks the options aren't as good out there. Um, but I do obviously think coming from the college game, He's obviously going to have a lot of connections and understanding all of the best quarterbacks in the game. And he's obviously building something which is built around what the college game is doing right now, which is a lot of stats, a lot of deep routes from the slot, uh, a lot of spread, that type of stuff, which Cam Newton would be all right in, but maybe he struggles a little bit on the accuracy and the anticipation um, to fit that completely. 
So I think, you know, the main thing about Matt Rule, as you mentioned, is he turned around these scandal-ridden programs at the college level. Um, and so he's got a really good reputation for building a really good team culture. So this is a guy who really motivates his guy, really gets people to buy, buy in, and is able to therefore create a team which, you know, overperforms its talent level. Uh, but obviously, you know, the NFL is a different experience. You know, the people that you're going to be training, that you're going to be coaching now, they're adults. They're not going to take no bullshit. They are college kids. You know, there is a uh, usually a bit of a, a transition there for college coaches. So it'll be interesting what it does there. But obviously, his choice to bring Phil Snow from Baylor, that's somebody know. But I think the more interesting choice here was to bring in Joe Brady from LSU, who was their passing game coordinator. And LSU obviously just won the college football championship on, uh, well, for us, Monday morning, uh, sorry, on Monday night, uh, Tuesday morning. And basically, LSU set records this year with their passing game. They were slicing and dicing up college defenses all year on their way as they were undefeated against some of the best teams in the college football championship. So for him, that's an opportunity perhaps to set up a very, like, busy, lots of forwards, kind of similar to the Kingsbury, but perhaps a little bit more uh, with more of a success track record in this case. So I think it's a really interesting hire. He's obviously highly talented to tell us he did so well, but we'll, we'll see if this college system can transition to the pros or if there's a bit of a transition period. But with a seven-year contract, he has the time to figure that stuff out. Yeah. Uh, the next big move probably is New York Giants, who were mentioned in connection to Matt Rule as well. They saw Matt Rule... Uh, basically get hired before he could leave <laughs> Carolina and they yeah, never got a shot at him. The new, the new owner in Carolina was obviously, he's from hedge funds and apparently, you know, business down. He knows how to close a deal. Ones. You know, he's, he's sick of having the previous guy's guy in charge and now this is my guy yeah. we're going to make this work. So the Giants then decide to, now look, okay, so they've hired New England special team slash wide receiver coach Joe Judge as their head coach candidate. Uh, he has a good reputation as the special teams coach for them. Uh, most reports are saying you can't blame him for the wide receivers because he was more of a step into that role rather than something that he was in charge of and maybe it was a bit of a mess. He has no head coaching experience. My problem is this feels, because I don't think they interviewed anyone else or they only interviewed one other person. This feels like they wanted Matt Rule and as soon as Matt Rule was taken, they went, shit, we better get the other guy who we like so they just hired Mike or Joe Judge as quickly as they could I don't like this hire at all I don't like I don't I don't like the experience he has I don't like the track record he has special teams is good but it doesn't necessarily mean you can call a game you've got a rookie quarterback essentially you're trying to guide you've got pieces on a fairly broken team with some good youth players some questionable depth there's a lot to manage here and it seems particularly because we've seen how a lot of rookie coaches and let's be honest experienced but less good at the media coaches deal in New York and it doesn't go well for them yeah like when I look at some of the other alternatives that they were looking at like Jason Garrett I'd rather have Joe Judge than Jason that's true I would someone at least has a bit of upside uh, I'd I'd rather have you coach my team than have Jason Garrett coach my team (laughs) At least it'd be fun, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, oh, you, you want to see analytics? That puts a guy who writes fucking statistical software in charge of the team. Well, I will say, you know, Ronan, my, my name, when translated, is Little Seal, so I would be good at the clapping bit. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, like, yeah, like this is this is a bit of a, a like a, a black box here. We're not really sure what he's going to do. Um, and we're not really sure who his offensive coordinator will be right now. I think that'll be an interesting choice in this part. So I think 
obviously as a special teams coach, I suppose the one nice thing is that you get to you've dealt with people on both sides of the ball. You have been playing favors, and you you have the opportunity to see the whole thing. And Bill Belichick was vouching for Joe Judge. He was saying this guy is a head coach candidate. He was giving him personal tutors of training and touting him to other people and saying you should hire. Hold, this but guy. hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on now. How successful has anyone from the Bill Belichick tree been outside of there? And how often has Bill Belichick let a quality player or coach leave his organization? Yeah, well, I think the, the, the theory is that perhaps you know, Bill Belichick had a special scene background and he respects the craft, as it were. Uh, no pun intended. I was going to uh, say, isn't that a problem that they think he doesn't respect <laughs> the craft? Uh. So I, I think the theory is that he respects this position. He respects any special team coordinators and that they're so often ignored in favour of the flashy OCs and DCs and he'd like to see that change or, or college football coordinator. So he, he's personally vouching to make this change. So he has the head coach experience. I think his staff right now is a bit up in the air. Uh, I think he might have hired uh, someone from Miami. Uh, yeah, so he hired like Patrick Graham uh, from Miami as his new DC. That'll be, you know, Miami, that's a, that's obviously coming from the Bill Belichick tree. Mm-hmm. We expect that Bill Belichick tree and defense is fine. So I think the offensive coordinator choice would be interesting. But yeah, it's a bit of a black box. But I suppose at his first interview, he said all the right things. He got brought the Bill Belichick mindset of like, I want to get, I want to see what you can do, not what you can't do. We'll see if they can put that into practice or not. It's a tough challenge in New York. It's a huge market. Obviously, a lot of scrutiny in the NFC East. Um, but New York. I think hope- it is, it is an ownership group that tends to give a bit of time and a bit of opportunity there. Even a coach uh, like who they can't um, was given two years with a really bad record. So in NFL terms, yeah. Well, this is the thing. Like, if you've got you've got a, a like a kind of a New England background special teams background coach coming in, the New York Giants are going to draft a whole load of really really gritty like you know uh, punt gunners out of Rutgers now with their first five or six picks, and then he's going to really set up that special teams unit to be the they'll be like the inverse of the Chargers who had was it the number one offense, number one defense, and the bottom ranked special teams and missed the playoffs. He'll be the inverse of that. <laughs> Um, Cleveland also made some big moves uh, in essentially admitting that they made a mistake last year. They hired uh, Minnesota offensive coordinator Kevin Stefanski to be their head coach. He was, according to all insiders, the guy who was second place to get the uh, to get the job last year when they decided to uh, to keep on their offensive coordinator instead. This obviously it's an like it's. It's an interesting move because obviously it means that they don't think that their approach was wrong, just that their choice of person in kitchens was incorrect. He comes from the Shanahan Kubiak tree, so zone blocking. Um, like it, It'll be an interesting one to see because this was a team that I think we can both agree had mountains and mountains and mountains of talent. Uh, terrible coaching, terrible attitude and, and discipline and really was just like it was just watching a waste of good players uh under kitchens last year so do you think this is the kind of guy who can turn it around well i think obviously the biggest challenge here is the culture there like basically you had a scenario there where basically no one was keeping the whole thing on the road um, and someone actually laid the, at the feet of, of their now departed gm uh, but the head coach obviously has a huge amount of power within that system. So, you know, Kevin Stefanski, you know, he comes from that tree. He's had some, I think, like, there's been a lot of really good things said about him. I'm not sure I've seen anything from his performance as an offensive coordinator that makes me go, wow. Like, he very much reminds me, uh, like, his offense under, basically under tutelage uh, of Kubiak basically looked like the old-style Kubiak offense, which is say they're effective but they're also a bit 
they're not very explosive basically they don't get the job done um, unless you have access to the play action which is so central to it so I mean a bit worried there that you know if they can't get that going if they, they can't get their offensive line in particular going they could be in trouble there but they have Nick Chubb there if they can just get some offensive line and maybe they can install something like what got Minnesota success this year and on the defense obviously it will depend on who he ends up uh, hiring um, I think the biggest issue I have with this isn't Stefanski himself I think you know, I'm willing to give him a shot. Like I'm willing to say he could be solid. Like the, that tree has been successful, the Shanahan Kubiak tree. Uh, it's the Cleveland Brown organization is the problem because Josh McDaniels. Uh, there's rumors that he refused to take the job because the ownership wanted to have final say over the game plan, basically over mm. what he was planning to do. Yeah, and this is this that's is the kind of interference that just doesn't sit well with me yeah. uh, in terms of there being a successful organisation as you, as you can imagine like they've come out and they've now and said oh well that's not the case we don't have to do that at all but like that that kind of rumour doesn't come out of nowhere like they interviewed a couple of people that had to have come out from more than one source that they were talking about essentially the analytics team being able to go over and say whether yeah like I, I don't know if it was final say or not but basically have, have a huge amount of impact on a game plan on the Fridays um, we'll see what they do I like I'm 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 not overly inspired, but to be honest, I do think it's a step up because I personally thought Freddie Kitchens was possibly the worst coach in the league last year. So um, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll literally take anyone over that. Um, there's a couple of smaller ones, couple of smaller ones here. So the Mizungus uh, have hired Carolina's interim offensive coordinator Scott Turner. Obviously, Rivera is there now, and he ha- he had worked with him beforehand. They've also uh, had former offensive coordinator Kevin O'Connell has left, um, as you'd imagine. Uh, although there was, oh, he's, he, he's ended up in the Rams now. Uh, I think. Now. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, we'll come to the Rams thing, but yeah, he's he landed there uh, yeah. in a role that didn't exist before, and which is I, I I almost like a man who can go into a job interview and talk himself into a role that doesn't exist. Um, <laughs> Dallas also hired New Orleans linebacker coach Mike Nolan as their defensive coordinator. Uh, they brought over LA Rams special teams coach John Fossil, the Fossil Man, um, and they're going to keep Kellen Moore. So Washington, um, I don't really know what to make of it because Carolina didn't look good, but they were racked with injuries, so it's hard to judge. And obviously, you know, this is like Ron Rivera saying, I want to set up the same way as I was beforehand. But the Dallas one I'm intrigued by, because I kind of like this little bit of a change, shake things up a little bit. But see, they obviously like what they were getting out of Kellen Moore. Yeah, uh, and I'm, I'm kind of interested to see there. I think John Fossil's a great hire. He's always put together really good special mm. teams in the Rams for years and years, going all the way back to the Jeff Fisher era. God damn, those special teams. <laughs> it's the only good thing they had. And they use well against the Seahawks. But yeah, Kellen Moore, obviously very hyped. And obviously, like let's let's be honest, the points, the yards, all those metrics looked really good for the offense. They just looked a little bit unclutch when it actually mattered yeah. uh, towards the end of the year. Uh, but like I suppose in terms of production, it's hard to count against that. And it was really the defense that had a terrible, terrible year. And obviously Chris Richard and Rod Marinelli were both highly touted coaches potential head, head candidate coaching Chris Richard and yet there's an ignominious end here and obviously you know Mike McCarthy the new head coach has decided I want to get something new in I'm going to get Mike Nolan in and you know the, the New Orleans linebackers have had some pretty good years like the Mario Davis was brought in and he's done pretty well for them uh, and so I think it's just a, it's a solid type of coach obviously someone Mike McCarthy has a bit of experience with so I think 
he's a bit of a no-namer, so it's hard to say there, but I think the big thing is there, you had obviously a, an all-star type of head coaching, or sorry, coaching tree around Garrett there, uh, but a lot of them maybe let go, but Kellen Morris would give him yeah. one more chance, well, given a chance to keep up that type of high production, see if, if a good defence can turn them back into the powerhouse we were expecting last year. Yeah, no, of course. Um, the Rams brought in Denver linebacker coach uh, Brandon Staley as a defensive coordinator. This is after they've done, which I think is a very confusing move. They've they didn't renew Wade Phillips' contract. Wade Phillips has been an excellent defensive coordinator in the league for a number of years. The defense has still looked pretty good at times here. Actually, overall pretty good this year. It was the offense that was faltering for the most part, uh, even though they don't have the pieces maybe they once did. Like, surely this is a spot where Wade Phillips is going to walk into another job. Is this just to do with the kind of the seniority factor of him being an old veteran ex-head coach sitting on the staff of a head coach who's had a... Let's, let's be honest, kind of struggling year versus how everyone expected it to go. And, uh, you know, letting him be the captain of the ship and not have the kind of like the older, grizzled uh, ex-captain in the background maybe undermining his power. Yeah, I think there's almost certainly a little element of that. I think like, you know, maybe Wade Phillips is the, you know, the training wheels as a head coach mm. where, you know, I'm not a defensive coach. I'm going to get someone in who's just run that for me. Maybe Sean McVay is going, well, the results I saw this year weren't up to my standards. Yeah. Now I want to bring in someone in who I have a bit more control over and who is bringing in a system from the Fangio school that perhaps better suits what I think the talent we have is. So mm-hmm. I'd say this is coming to a large extent from McVay uh, basically, basically asserting his seniority. And he's bringing in Kevin O'Connell as an offensive coordinator as well, where obviously, as you mentioned, they don't have any privacy, which probably indicates to a certain extent McVay is trying to make that step back from being the play caller, the offensive guru, to being a more complete head coach in total. And we know Sean McVay's a driven guy. We know the guy's smart as hell. So I think he sees this as the next challenge to move up and having complete control, you know, like someone like Bill Belichick, of the coaching game and to make the Rams go to the next level and to get them through the tough times with the lack of picks and the high cap money, etc. You know, less resources, basically. He's going to have to make that transition. So... It's an interesting move. I think maybe it'll cause a little bit of a setback, but I think for the Rams long term, if they're built into McVeigh, um, then it makes sense for him to give them the take the training wheels off and see what he can do as a more executive type of head coach rather than just you know a play caller. Yeah, um, there's a few smaller ones. We'll try and fly through these quicker. Denver have hired uh, Pat Shermer to be their offensive coordinator after getting rid of Scangarello. Um, it's interesting because obviously they've got the QB Drew Lock like pretty good in the last couple of games and he got in as a starter. They're presumably hoping that this system would work better with him. He had kind of, you know, big play offense, a lot of play action stuff in Minnesota. So presumably it's just a move to that kind of idea. Yeah, like I would I assume like Locke, he's got the physical tools to play that type of offense. And maybe, you know, uh, Scangarello had more of a conservative offense built around a Joe Flacco type player. So yeah. I think they're saying Locke, he's a big arm guy. Give him play action. He can make some big plays. We'll see how well it works. No, of course. Jacksonville, after their still confusing decision to keep their head coach, decided to clear some other bits out. So John Filippo, the offensive coordinator, is gone. Jacksonville, like, they've got Nick Foles locked down for this year because of the amount of money they're paying him. You'd have to give them something serious to get him off their books because they'll basically be paying for him to play for your team. So they've got him. They've got, um, like, Minshew. It's an interesting situation coming in. This is a guy who had some success beforehand is a quarterbacks coach in Philly so he knows Foles he knows Wentz he knows a few of these kind of ones like it's obviously just makes sense to bring in someone and try and maximise what they have because they're stuck in this two horse system anyway for the next year 
Yeah, like I, I have very little faith that Jackson will be doing anything next year, but John no, Filippo is either. more the more interesting. Bit of a fall from grace. He was considered a head coach candidate at one time a couple of years ago, and yeah. now he's just been canned here. He'll probably pick up a job somewhere, especially with these uh, guys from the Andy Reid school flying around. But uh, yeah, a bit of a fall of grace from someone so highly touted previously. Yeah, uh, Philly because they can't quite move on from Peterson because uh, he, you know, probably has earned the, a little bit of time with that Super Bowl and whatnot. <laughs> and to be fair, like, they, the injuries, like, they were really bad. Like, oh, I know, I know. But, but but they've decided to kind of make a ritualistic sacrifice. So their offensive coordinator, <laughs> Mike Groh, who, let's be honest, this is an offensive head coach in Peterson. He's not, like, I... I in the same way that we mentioned earlier, the Rams have brought in um, uh, they brought in uh, Kevin O'Connell to be offensive coordinator. They didn't have an offensive coordinator before him because their head coach ran the offense. That's the situation in Philly. This is just a firing for the sake of a firing to say we're changing some things up. Like that's all. Yeah, it is. and like you are right because especially because Pedersen in the uh, press conference the day before this firing happened had given basically. He'd said that he expected Grow to be back and he thought he was winning in the building. And the controversy actually at that one's about Virginia Schwartz, about his uncertainty there, but that was more about him interviewing for head coaching candidate jobs. But the fact that a day later grows out the door probably gives you an indication that, you know, maybe the front office, the ownership said, you know, something's got to change here. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if there's a little bit of a power struggle going on there. Um, so we'll, we'll see going forward. But obviously, as you say, the offensive coordinator probably isn't the key figure there with Pedersen having so much control there. No. Uh, Chicago seems to have realised their limitations at quarterback and are trying to plan accordingly. So they've hired uh, offensive coordinator Bill Lazor with a track record of <laughs> Miami and Cincinnati, the powerhouses of quarterback play over the last number of years. Um, uh, there have been some whispers. There have been some whispers around that I kind of like the idea of, to be honest. Of um, that, like this is a move where Chicago are going to bring in Andy Dalton now and have him challenge him for the role because then it, it's it's that thing of it's enough challenge because he is essentially as you hear on a number of other podcasts essentially the prime meridian of quarterbacks, right? So you bring him into challenge. If he wins out, then that's fine. You've got someone who has experience of working with him and that type of quarterback limitations. And if he outplays him, it's a gentle push. It's not like you're kind of putting Lamar Jackson beside him and go, right, try and beat this guy. It's, you know, it's like, you know, it's targeting 35 minutes for your 5K, not trying to run the whole thing, you know? Yeah, creating QB controversies for the sake of it is generally not a good move. I would probably just give Trubisky another go, and if he sucks, just get rid of him the year after. But uh, yeah, considering that in Chicago, Matt Nagy holds the keys anyway, doesn't really feel like no. Bill Lazor pew, 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 is going to have a bunch of a bunch <laughs> of a, a amount of control of what happens. Uh, but yeah, maybe maybe they're preparing for Dalton. <laughs> yeah, I kind of hope that's the case. Uh, Detroit hire Philadelphia defensive back coach Corey Undine, who I didn't know anything about as a new defensive coordinator. Yeah. Philly's defensive ha- backs have been okay, so yeah. Hi- highly touted. But once again, you have a defensive you have a defensive coach in this case, um, Matt Patricia coming from the New England system. Um, so I don't expect him to have too much. He's not going to be calling plays. This seems more of a we're getting a talented guy in the room, another voice in the room who can bring something extra. Uh, rather than somebody who's going to have control over that mm. side of the ball. Yeah, Miami promoted their defensive backs coach, Josh Boyer, to defensive coordinator. Pretty much um, same. Yeah. Same analysis. Yeah. yeah. Defensive uh, coordinator, former defensive coordinator, he probably won't have that much control. Yeah. He also probably, you know, they went, well, like, we... We, we traded away his best player and uh, he stuck with us so we'll, we'll look after him he's one of ours um, 
so let's move on to crime and punishment. What are they doing? Probably felonies, but they're actually misdemeanors, I think, this time around. Uh, <laughs> New England wide receiver Julian Edelman, unsure of what to do when he doesn't have a playoff game in January, was arrested for vandalism in, um, I think it was Beverly Hills, was it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so he, um, he was presumably a bit out of it and uh, sort of like jumping up and down the bottom of a person's car, damaging it and doing a load of shit. Basically acting the hard man in a rich person's like area it's uh it's just a bit sad to be honest yeah like apparently like there was a photo on instagram uh with him and, and like a basketball star paul pierce and former patriots receiver danny amendola oh yeah dollar bill dollar amendola yeah they were having a good old time and something must have been said outside so he jumped on someone's car presumably <laughs> a nice car because it's beverly hills oh of course yeah He's rich, it's Beverly Hills, it ended up being a misdemeanor. I don't think this will go anywhere. He might pick up a suspension from the NFL if they, if they really want to take mm-hmm. it. But, uh, yeah, just someone who obviously, he's just really suffering on his bro, Tom Brady. He's just not used oh. to being away from him during January. Like, like, the the idea of someone who normally holds the nickname Pedalman, uh, <laughs> getting in some kind of rage in the offseason when he's not doing piss tests? Well, I, couldn't, I can't imagine what might be at play there. <laughs> Hit up Gronkowski, go on a fucking boat, and that'll keep you away from the trouble. Yeah, go, go on his cruise. International waters, you know? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> um, Carolina, speaking of speaking of Gronkowski, Carolina linebacker Luke Keekley is retired at the age of 28. He hasn't given a specific reason, uh, but he says it's health implications and, 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 and repeated injuries. So he's had a number of concussions and injuries to the head. He retires after eight seasons, where he is uh, Defensive Rookie of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year, five All-Pros and seven Pro Bowl nods, and he will almost certainly be probably not a well this is a discussion for another time but I would say probably not a first ballot but almost a, certainly a Hall of Famer an interesting little stat in his eight seasons seven Pro Bowl nods the only year he didn't make the Pro Bowl he won defensive player or sorry defensive rookie of the year uh, which is a pretty he, solid he was pretty good yeah uh, sorry the, re- the, 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 the Gronkowski connection was that uh, Gronkowski tweeted out of whatever he retired and said something along the lines of Oh man, I hear you're retired. Great game. When are you unretiring? As a joke about everyone asking Gronk when he unretires. Yeah, yeah. Like, like, let's be honest. Like Luke Kuechly, you look at his accolades, you look at his CV, and you're kind of like, yeah, he'll be in the Hall of Fame. This is just a ridiculous yeah. man. He was just ridiculous at the time there. And I, I am a Seahawks fan, so I'm obviously going to be a Bobby Wagner homer, but even I have to admit that Luke Kuechly at his best was the best linebacker in the league. Uh, certainly off-ball linebacker by far. Um, and yeah, the, just his record speaks for himself. You know, the fact that he went into Carolina when they already had a, you know, a, 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 like a ring of honor type linebacker in Thomas Davis and instantly became the leader in that linebacker core regardless gives you an indication of how talented this guy was. He put himself on the line every game, almost, it probably seems like too much at this point. And obviously, in the end, the concussions, the injuries, all the reports indicate that for the last couple of seasons, he's been playing through other issues beyond just the concussions. But yeah. the concussion one is the one that, you know, that's your long term health there, that's your long term ability to, well, think and do stuff. Mm. And you know, if, if he feels the best decision for his future now is to retire, then I can only wish him all the oh, best and hopefully it's a great career. 100%. There's a lot of kind of almost Navarro Bowman about this, of the kind of like playing at the top of the game but then retiring early on. Um, I think Navarro was also like 28 or 29 when he retired as well. 
Um, also had you know a couple of, of first team all pros and stuff like that. Um, it's interesting because as I say, with the increasing cap number and all that kind of stuff, that like it, it is increasingly becoming an option for players to come into the league, play for six, seven years. Particularly if they're a top end player, they could play for that long, then get yeah. out before the serious long term injury or the career yeah. ender happens. I, I, and I think the idea of players having financial responsibility, getting out there uh, and not just wasting all their money. I think that has gotten true into the culture in the last five years or so. I think the players have become more responsible and had more people in the NFLPA community talking about that, people from Marshawn Lynch to Calais Campbell uh, and from all other corners as well. So it's good to see that and hopefully more NFL players will leave the league not only with their health, but with a significant amount of wealth. And what, what, was, what, what was it that, um, that uh, Marshawn Lynch was saying? you got to protect your chicken? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> protect your chicken. Yeah. Um, if, so, if, anyone, if, anyone, yeah, if anyone deserves two exit interviews, it's probably Marshawn Lynch. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> speaking of uh, potential Hall of Famers, you are leaving former LA Charger tight end Antonio Gates is retired at. This is the other end of the spectrum, age 39. <laughs> Um, he was part of the big revolution of the tight end position. That was him and Tony Gonzalez, really at the time, leading the leading the way for that. He played 16 seasons, over 230 games, nearly a thousand catches, over 11,000 yards, and uh, he's the most touchdowns by a tight end, 116. Uh, he was selected for eight straight Pro Bowls from 2004 to 2011. He was a first team All Pro, I think, two or three times in that mixture as well. When he was going up against, you know, Tony Gonzalez, and I look. I've obviously got a bit of bias here. I always think of Tony Gonzalez as the best that ever played the position. Um, but I have to, like, I always think of Antonio Gates is up there in the top three or four. It's kind of, it's, for me, it's, it's Gonzalez, uh, Gates, Gronkowski are probably the three that I think of at the top of the game. And I know there's going to be people, particularly the Dallas fans, who are not going to like us not putting Witten in there. But these guys are so much more talented. And Gates, yeah. even though he fell off in production in the later years, was a was, was, was a groundbreaking player at the position. Yeah, but did you know he played basketball, though? Uh, what? Jesus, he oh, I never heard that. College level, Damn it, that joke's going to die now. Yeah, he, he's on draft. <laughs> Yeah, he came in from college on draft and all that bullshit. But yeah, the career, the numbers speak for themselves. He's had an amazing career, several mini comebacks over the last couple of years. I think with the Philip Rivers likely moving on from the Chargers and obviously the opportunity to, to retire as a Charger. I think, you know, the, the Tony Gate comebacks are over and I think he's a bit chunky these days. So he can probably enjoy his retirement in, in happy and hopefully wealthful, uh, you know, stupor or whatever he desires to be honest. No, of course. And the Hall of Fame Centennial class has been revealed. There's lots of them. We'll try and run through them quickly. Um, Pittsburgh head coach Bill Cower, Dallas head coach Jimmy Johnson, uh, from Chicago offensive tackle Jim Covert, New York Jets tackle Winston Hill, Philly wide receiver Harold Carmichael, Chicago Cardinals offensive tackle Duke Slater, uh, Chicago linebacker Ed Sprinkles, uh, NFL film Steve Sable, uh, Detroit defensive tackle Alex Karras, uh, Green Bay safety Bobby Dillon, Pittsburgh safety Bonnie Shell, New York Giants GM George Young, Dallas safety Cliff Harris, Cleveland wide receiver Max Spedal, I think it is, and uh, it, it, he was officially Edge because that's what they called wide receivers back when he was playing. Wide was like receiver was called Edge back then. Why? Wow. I think it was like the thirties or forties. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, NFL commish Paul Tagliabue. Yeah, that's a good one to pronounce at the end. Yeah, oh, yeah. you threw that in at the end. You couldn't have put it at the start when my mouth wasn't tired. Like, 
let, let's be honest, we don't we, we don't really have enough familiarity with the history of the game to know most of these guys. Like Bill Cower, Jimmy Johnson are reason enough we have some familiarity. Yeah, yeah there's one or two. And I've, I've, I've heard yeah. about Ed Sprinkles, uh, or Sprinkle, yeah. and a, a few bits. I think I've, I think I've heard about Duke Slater. He was... Was he the first African American in? I believe so. Yeah. Um, so that's uh, a big one. That's from like the twenties, though. So that's yeah. Uh, like that's it's, really it's, it's 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 a lot of historical clearance happening here as well. Of like, you know, oh, yeah. if they don't go in now, no one will remember, kind of thing. You know. Yeah. So like, just just for anyone who's unaware, it's obviously the hundred year anniversary of the NFL. They're having a big celebration of that this this season. And to celebrate, they basically expanded the seniors category um, of the Hall of Fame, which is usually only like, I think, three people, to this big 15-man class, uh, two coaches, I think three other people, and then the rest were players. Yeah. Um, and so you get these people like Steve Sable, you get these people like Carl Tagley, uh, and then you get these kind of historical players, kind of forgotten, like Duke Slater. It's cool to see. Um, it's obviously good to have them all in. Um, but I suppose the only the only thing that uh, would annoy some people is uh, perhaps our, our former uh, co-host Harry uh, Don Coriel still not getting into the hall. Still not in. Still not in. And if he can't get in in the fifteen-man slate of the senior committee, uh, one wonders if it will ever happen. No, of course. And with that, we'll take people to what they want to hear about the games that they've already watched. Okay, so first up, Minnesota at San Francisco. This kind of went, as we expected, 10 to 27 in here. Uh, San Francisco just kind of shut down this Minnesota team that had a nice bright spark in the wildcard round, but nothing really happening here. A lot of run game, 180 yards to touchdown with Coleman taking a lot of the business. Uh, The defense stepped up, six sacks, an interception, held them to less than 200 yards. Like, this was a pretty comprehensive drubbing. Jimmy G played okay in the little bits he was there, but like he wasn't needed. He had 130 yards and a touchdown. Uh, like to be honest, if anything, didn't look phenomenal, you know. Yeah. Um, Minnesota. Well, this is the thing. Minnesota did nothing. Like Minnesota had no answer to anything here. They tried to run the ball. They were held to about two yards again. They tried to pass the ball. What? Like they had that one nice pass to Diggs. That was about it. Like. They tried to get the play action going. This was a defense that was sending speed around the edges and they were never biting on it. And if they were, they were sending two guys, one for each option. Like it was just, uh, yeah, it was just it was just a spot where Minnesota looked exhausted by the end because they had tried everything they had in their little bag of tricks, but this was a good team and they're not allowed to beat good teams. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I still think the Orleans were a good team. I, I don't know where they were how, how. We'll, we'll see what the story is after the season uh, but I think you know San Francisco had a very different formula and it, it was interesting because they basically went back to the kind of team they were earlier in the season when they were on that dominant run uh, before they had a bit of a stutter later on maybe due to injuries uh, we'll, we'll kind of know as time goes on really uh, as we were in the Super Bowl but yeah like they, were, they leaned on the run and Tevin Coleman, who had been kind of left on the shelf for like a month or two, is now suddenly back as the lead back. They just ran all over them, you know, nearly 200 yards, two touchdowns. Like we know the Shanahan-Kubiak zone blocking scheme, when it gets going, is one of the best ones. I think Minnesota maybe try to get cheeky, bring in the New Orleans game plan, and have bring in their defensive ends into the center and attack the guards. And that's great and all if you're playing a team that passes the ball a lot. But if you put you know, defensive ends against guards, they're going to run those guys over and create holes. 
for the likes of Tevin Coleman and you're going to get a lot of yards that way and just grind this game out, grind the clock out and basically kill you on the end. And then on the other hand, the defense was back to its best. You know, D Ford, we said, was back for this game and it made a difference. Like Nick Boza, uh, you know, as unsurprisingly, probably was the star and the interception from Richard Sherman. And like this kind of domination is just, you know, really encouraging that the San Francisco defense is back to what we thought it was. And yeah, I, the only concern really is Jimmy G. He, he he had a couple of throws here that, like he had one pick uh, where he basically was tricked uh, by by Kendricks and it looked like just kind of a kind of James Winston type of trick. Open your eyes here like, and listen now, Kendricks. You, you're supposed to see that, uh, but he also had another one that should be a pick as well. So he was throwing over the middle a lot, which is his style, but he didn't seem accurate. He didn't seem to have the anticipation for a pretty good defense here. So that's the only thing to worry about for Minnesota. Like, once they lost their play action, once they went behind, they looked lost. If they can't credibly run uh, and they don't have the threat of running because they're too far behind, then if you put the ball in Kirk Cousins' hands, he, like he's not the worst quarterback, but he definitely isn't any... He's no, he's nothing special. He's like a below-average quarterback in the league uh, in that situation, and he just cannot get it done. And you know, you Preach, brother, ask, preach! You have to ask a fundamental question of this Minnesota team that you know they've been this Mike Zimmer team. They've been here like Mike Zimmer's been like multiple years at this point. And when they get kicked out of the playoffs, when they make the playoffs, it's always in situations like this. They go behind Ooh. and they can't come back. Like I know like, this is this this Seattle. this is the Cincinnati Bengals and the Texans of beforehand. This is a team yeah. that is designed to win about nine or ten games, make it to the postseason, and realistically losing the wildcard game is where they where they should be. Like you know that's. But, but like, I, I'm a Seattle fan, and we play this style of ball, but the difference is we have Russell Wilson to bail us out. Yeah. Kirk Cousins is going to bail you out of anything. Uh, he not like that. He not like that at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's... So, um, yeah, like, 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 shout out to the Minnesota defense. They, 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 they were dutiful, and they did their work, but, yeah, by the end, they were just run ragged, and whatever. I think they tried some of the New Orleans stuff, and it just didn't work. So, you know, Minnesota... Big questions about what they're going to do as a team if Mike Zimmer's Minnesota Vikings are a credible challenger. Right now, it just feels like they've been stuck in you know, the same space for five years. No, 100%. Um, but yeah, like it, it is that spot of San Francisco looked to be riding into form. We'll talk about them in the preview. And Minnesota just looked to be... Like, this is what we expected out of Minnesota in the previous match against the Saints. They pulled it out there, and this makes you question more, was that a function of... Minnesota or was that a function of the Saints really in that previous game? Uh, Tennessee at Baltimore. This was the big upset, I would say, of the of the weekend. Uh, Twenty eight Tennessee, Baltimore twelve. Uh, Derrick Henry runs all over the shop. He is breaking records or tying records left, right, and center. He was uh, just shy of two hundred yards in this game. He also uh, outpassed their quarterback by throwing a uh, throwing a touchdown there's a very funny tweet if you want to look at it of um i believe was it uh, marcus mariota was out as a wide receiver on that play was completely uncovered and instead derrick henry threw it into triple coverage to score the touchdown yeah. instead like a jump a jump pass where he's like jumping up and throwing it down to his receiver yeah it was, uh, it was uh, epic, to be fair it was it was great crack essentially yeah look they didn't even need Tannehill in this one he completed seven passes for like 80 yards and a touchdown or two touchdowns I think maybe in the red zone it was like yeah there was some nice plays in there but they just didn't need it their defense stepped up big they had two interceptions and uh, Baltimore kept just was it four failed fourth down attempts they had in this game 
Only two? Two, two but... Uh, oh. Well, two when it mattered. Uh, yeah, yeah, so I think there was two late on that were kind of just desperation moves. But yeah, um, like two big fourth down stops. Like, this is the thing. Like, Baltimore looked out of sorts in this game and the big problem was as soon as they fell behind you could see that they hadn't game planned for this they wanted to run the ball and do what they wanted to do they weren't expecting the pressure they weren't expecting and this is almost this is almost textbook what we said what the Chiefs did to them earlier on the season even what the Browns did to them earlier on the season they're a little bit different obviously it's set up now but it was crowd that middle make them throw outside Lamar had to attempt what was it 45 passes in this game which is nearly double what he normally does like there was no chance of them being able to stick to their game plan and that's a type of game that they're not able to win doing Tennessee's defense Set put them into that position, but then this is a team that built that if it gets a score or a score and a half ahead, it can just say, Right, you're never getting the ball back because we have some this giant half like half ogre man who will destroy you. Like they stacked the box on like 50% of the plays against Henry, and he still went for 200 yards. Yeah, he like King Henry, he is earned that moniker, he has gone crazy in the playoffs. and you know, I think the biggest problem for Baltimore, they went down and I think they panicked because they realized this guy's going to keep running over us. He's going to keep melting the clock. He's just going to make it disappear and rack up touchdowns at the same time. You know, uh, either, either, well, he didn't get into the end zone as a runner, but he got a touchdown as well. And he just, he just absolutely bullied this Baltimore defense, which, you know, was fairly highly touted. People were high on this Baltimore defense. Obviously, John Harbaugh is, has, and Don Wink Martindale have a reputation for building good defenses, and yet they just bullied them again and again and again, because they, they, they had one play action uh, touchdown, their second touchdown, the Tannehill Dobb, but once they did that, and they were ahead, they didn't need it anymore. They're just like, whatever, we'll save yeah. that for the AFC. Seven uh, completed passes, like, that's it. Yeah. And the defense, yeah, they were di- like the big thing about the defense is that they were disciplined. They didn't chase Lamar. They let Lamar come to Den, and I think that's the huge difference. Because it was like there was one play where Rashawn Evans, their star linebacker, did go for him, went through the hole, tried to chase them, and it turned into a huge run for Lamar. Like they learned the lesson there, keep him there, even if like Lamar at the end of the day did get like over 500 yards, but never has 500 yards uh, combined from like passing and rushing. Never has 500 yards felt more empty. Oh empty, yeah, empty I, and the thing, like it was, it was, it was a lot of it was garbage time as well. Like it was just, it was kind of yeah. He was, he was like to hear some of those garbage time runs were beautiful. But oh, it didn't yeah. matter. And the problem for him is, is that when he was put into situations where they knew that he had the pass into the fourth and thirds and longs, he didn't know what to do. And like to be honest, some of those fourth down conversions early on are on him. There was a quarterback sneak that he ran into the blockers and he just looked panicked and he kind of just ran back around and he got easily tackled for a loss. Like if you're in that situation, you're not you're not gonna be able to twirl around on a fourth down stand. Like there's gonna be like ten guys looking for you on that Man. line area. So uh, I think to a certain extent, yes, we saw some of the issues that Lamar had previously. We saw like a little bit of inaccuracy on the outside throws. We saw the fumbles come back again. And just those early mistakes from Baltimore on the turnovers. And yes, there were some drops from his receivers as well, which definitely didn't help. Um, and definitely they, they had some injuries to so Mark Andrews and Mark Ingram didn't help. But even given that, given the kind of domination they had all year, it was just a complete collapse once again for a team um, which had a lot of expectations. So Lamar, the reputation is building. 
great in the great in the, in the regular season, mm. bad in the uh, in the postseason where they're coming for you. In like um, in, in in this is yeah. In Sorry, this instance, there probably is like a, a good case to be made of. Like this wasn't just the because there's always that school of thought, and it's statistically proven to not be correct. But that you know there are there are definitely teams where it does seem to apply more often. Where if you get the buy, you have a week off, and sometimes you need to stay hot. Sometimes you need that tempo. Sometimes you need that momentum going. And this is a team who didn't have that. But the big one is that this is a team that essentially had two and a half games off. Like they rested their starters in week 17 entirely in week 16 they were pulling starters by the by the third quarter in that game there were players here who had spent two and a half three weeks without playing a a touch of proper competitive contact football like like the, the, the statistics and the records don't indicate to me that the reason that the Baltimore Ravens lost is because they had too much time off I think the biggest problem for them is that they ran into a team that force them to become an execution team. For me, the Tennessee Titans, by controlling the clock, keeping the game under their control, they said to the Baltimore Ravens, you've had it easy all year. You have to get, expo- like you've had explosive plays coming out of your wazoo all the time, and you've been, you've been in control and ahead. Now you're behind, execute, pass accurately, convert, catch those difficult passes. And when the, but when the chips were down and they had to execute on every play, maximize and squeeze every penny they were unable to do so and that is probably why they lost here because it's a team that wasn't prepared for that type of game uh you know not their fault they're just really really good but i think in in that sense maybe they weren't prepared in that way the team itself i think is a bit of a red herring yeah so unfortunately when the chips were down they were behind and they had to produce they were unable to do that and that's why they won't be progressing Uh, in our next game houston at kansas city we have a slightly different approach to a similar situation 31 to to 51 in this one. Um, A game of two quarters in the first half, I think, is probably the best (laughs) way to to, to explain this. Uh, Kansas City decided to spot Houston a 24-point lead. uh, 24 to nothing, I believe, in the uh, second quarter before deciding to uh, fire off seven touchdowns in a row with 41 of those points coming unresponded. Uh, Mahomes looked incredible. Three, over 300 yards and five touchdowns. Kelsey had a hell of a day uh, defeating Lonnie Johnson, defeating double teams, uh, defeating the concept of, hey, it's the red zone. Why don't we cover Travis Kelsey for a change? Uh, to the extent that even Blake Bell caught his first touchdown in the NFL uh, because they just gave up on covering tight ends at a certain point. Um yeah, the defense looked decent after a slightly shaky start. They were missing Chris Jones in uh, in this game, but uh, they still performed pretty well in the back half. Basically, this was a game where the start was defined by a lump of special teams errors that just put them in a hole. On the Chiefs' first drive, they went to punt from their essentially their own end zone from I think uh, the the 8 yard line and that was returned for a touchdown and then they uh, fumbled the ensuing kickoff and it was recovered at the 3 yard line against them that put them in a hole and then they fell all the way down to 24 to nothing but then they just got back together and and, and wouldn't allow it to crumble as we talked in the last game when the team got behind they weren't able to do it in this one the team got 24 to nothing behind and they said right come on, we've got this, and then proceeded to execute. Now, that's not to say they weren't helped by possibly some terrible play calling and managing on the part of Bill O'Brien, the arse-chinned gobshite. <laughs> 
Yeah, like, like uh, we'll, we'll, let, we'll talk briefly about Houston here, just get them off the slate, because, like, to be honest, Houston are, uh, like, as you say, they're a Bengal-type team. They don't deserve to be at this level of tournament, and they are designed to be picked off by teams like the Chiefs. Like, Deshaun Watson is great. Let, let's not yeah, Deshaun Watson is excellent, and he three, tried his best. 300, yeah, 380 yards, two touchdowns, really good. He was pulling this team as much as he can. He has very good weapons, but, you know... The problem for this team is everything else. The defense is shit. We know that. They are lacking talent. And Lonnie Johnson, to be fair, was a cornerback that they pulled earlier in the season. And they were putting into spot duty as a safety in this game due to all their injuries out there. Like, players, like, their elite players, like J.J. Watt, like, they were playing half-fit, let's be honest. He was, like, dying out there. Um, and, yeah, like, special shout-out to Bill O'Brien. Like, basically, like, first, like, when they were 24, uh, when they were, like, 21 points up on a fourth and short, he... He was going to go for a fourth down, a ballsy move, a move I would have respected. Uh, and then he decided, oh, I'll take a timeout and take a field goal. Basically, he waved the white flag to a certain extent. Because you have, you had them by the throat, and you could have kept pummeling them, but you gave them a field goal instead, which I think just gives a little bit of like, oh, they're, they're afraid. That's the Starship Troopers moment. Like, mm. it's afraid. And like, KC felt, he felt that, I think, to a certain extent. And then on their first. Don't play, make us the KC, space Nazis! <laughs> <laughs> Well, you do have the racist chat, but uh, <laughs> anyway, they, you know, like if you turn the uh, arrowhead thing uh, from like sideways to palm waves, you know, you could interpret it that way. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, they, then on the next drive after Kansas City get their first touchdown, he does go to fourth and three in his own half, and it fails. And to be fair, a huge, massive tackle to Daniel Sorensen. Like unspoken, like one of the MVPs of that play, which was huge in terms of giving short field to Kansas City and setting up another another touchdown. Uh, but like, like, yeah, Houston, like they 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 put up a good fight for a quarter and then they disappear because Kansas City once they get going, they were absolutely smashing it. And to be honest, I think it's going to be the best thing for Kansas City because all year we've been asking, when are Kansas City going to look like the 2018 Kansas City Chiefs? And boy, once they got going, <laughs> they got fucking going. Like, it all started on a big Cole Hartman special team's return after, like, basically Tyreek Hill screwed up too much, and they're like, why don't we just use the guy who's good at this and be doing mm. it all year? And that set up the first touchdown. And then after that, short field, uh, another short field, yes, that helped. But, you know, when they got going, once they got back to parity, and got the second half. Then they started. What was it? it was like it was like three, three touchdowns in three minutes and twenty two seconds or something. And then yeah. like it just, oh yeah, like um, I, I we we were on the chat about this at the time, and lads are like, holy shit, like are you down by by twenty one? Like how are you feeling? It got to twenty four, and I said, well look, to be honest, two of these are like special teams fuck ups. Like maybe maybe we go into the half at like. 14 to 27 or maybe 17 27 and we get the the the, the ensuing kickoff i never quite expected that we'd be firing back that <laughs> rapidly and the biggest thing i saw is like pat mahomes you know it's been a tough year lots of injuries stuff mm. like that but when that that comeback started going he looked to be absolutely out of his mind fucking getting the crowd up even oh yeah what, spiking adrenaline yeah. more adrenaline you know Every- kill elephant he was just Ready to book the fucking kill teams. Oh yeah! Every time, every time a touchdown went in, he ran the length. Every every time a touchdown went in, he ran the length of the of the length of the stadium on the sidelines, getting people hyped up off the sides. Like if you have that much energy afterwards, you know you're 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 in a good spot mentally for it. So so we'll do the preview in a moment, but 
they're in they're in Arrowhead for the AFC Championship. Miami's obviously neutral ground. Patrick Mahomes, we know how special he is. That 2018 season was historical. We know that. If he's back to being that Pat Mahomes, and the deep, like maybe the San Francisco or the only, the San Francisco would only have really great defense left, then we could really see something special mm. happening here. And I'm, I'm really excited to see because I said it last week. Are we going to see this offense back? And based on this performance, we very much could be seeing that for the rest of the tournament. Oh, 100%. And just as a final note, Houston, you have some really good players. I really like your quarterback. Uh, you're, some of your fans are being fucking dicks for the week. But what you need to do is fire Bill O'Brien. He is wasting the talent that's on that team. There's a lot of rebuild that needs to be doing. He is not the man to do it. Uh, finally, I'm sorry, Connor. The what? Just, just, to, just to, to give you an idea, of, well, just, just to tell you that they decided they're not going to have a GM next year, but LeBron is GM slash head coach next year. I'm oh sorry. my That's god, it. kill me now. Uh, well, I suppose at least it's, it's it's a team with a good quarterback who won't be a true contender for a while. Seattle at Green Bay, twenty three to twenty eight. Um, yeah, Seattle was trying to make a comeback in the second half here, but it kind of yeah. slightly fell apart. Um, like. Aaron Rodgers had a good performance. Adams did very well in this. They like they set themselves up really well, but then they didn't have that killer instinct you'd like to see of them kind of put a game away. Seattle started to pull their way right back in. But for some reason, and I don't know why, look, I don't buy this analysis stuff that's going around that like, what's Pete Carroll really giving to the Seahawks because the defense has not been incredible and he seems to really want to run this old school, right, we're going to run on the first two downs and then we're going to pass and it's not going to work and we're going to run it for three quarters then we're going to say, fuck it, let Russell Wilson be Russell Wilson. I don't blame him for that. I'm not at that level. But I am questioning what was the plan here. It, like, is is this that he's rigidly sticking to the plan that would work better if like Chris Carson, Rashad Penny and stuff like that are still there in the backfield and he just isn't adjusting from a good plan? Or is it like stubbornness to want to win his way? Because uh, I think it's stu- I think it's stubbornness, to be honest. I think he I I think Brian Schottenheimer early on they gave Russell Wilson a bit of control over this. Um, but it did it didn't really go well he kind of reverted back to form. And there was one season um, um, a few years ago where they did decide to give Russell Wilson a lot of action. And I think that's the, that's the one year they didn't make the playoffs. And he did a lot of coaching changes the year after Brian Schottenheimer and basically said, we're going to be back to that school. And to be fair, it worked most of this season. But ever since, like they started losing offensive linemen, ever since, obviously, Chris Carson, Rashad Penny both got injured late in the season, it didn't make sense anymore like, you've got to adjust. You've got to realize you can't just do the same thing. And to be fair, Seattle now have a long-standing record of spotting big leads that are opposing uh, opposing team in the playoffs. Think back to Carolina a few years ago, for example. And now they're in, now they're in the same situation again. And, like, Russell Wilson is fucking amazing. And he nearly got them back into this. Uh, you know, they were basically a couple of third and longs away from giving Russell Wilson one last chance to win this game. Um, but ultimately, you know, it, it does feel hamstrung to a little bit. Now, I know what P. Carroll brings to the game. He gets the ability to bring young players into a system and get them up to a high level very, very quickly. Now, the problem is they just don't have enough talented players right now through injury and just through the lack of talent on the roster overall. Um, but I think P. Carroll does bring that, but it's just 
just a matter of can he empower his other coordinators or if he's willing to bring in coordinators you could just have a little bit more a little bit of ability to adjust so I think for Seattle you know there was a few key sacks and a few drops that will definitely sting um, but you know this was just a very Seattle game we've seen this script so many times in the Pete Carroll era and it's a little bit tiresome at this point as for the Packers as you say not a complete performance um, the first half was good solid and you saw that they gave Aaron Jones a lot of action which I think is good for being a solid team that doesn't lean too hard on Aaron Rodgers and then when they needed Aaron Rodgers they leaned on him particularly in that last drive getting those two third down conversions maybe the last one wasn't the third down conversion who could tell um, but yeah I think the biggest problem is once again even when they put together one really good half the inconsistency comes back they allow Seattle to be come back into this game and you're left wondering is this Green Bay team a little bit of a paper tiger? They've beaten a Seattle team dealing with injuries and not, not really the most talented Seattle roster. When they come up against the NFC Championship game or the Super Bowl, if they manage to make it there, are we going to see the Green Bay excitement that we saw a few years ago with those teams that did really, really well early in Rogers' career? Right now, I'm just not really seeing it. They're so solid. They're very able to keep the games, but they just don't feel like a, a superstar team. No, of course. Um, like I said, it's... It, 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 it was also the lack of performance by the key players for that plan that Pete was trying to do. That like you do, you were getting very little production out of the run game, even though you did get you know beast mode two more touchdowns to to, to, to cap his, his career. But like it, it just it just wasn't working. Whereas when you went to Russell Wilson, it was maybe not as quickly as it wanted, or maybe not as fluidly as you wanted, but it was there, and you could see some of what we saw during the season and the the it's that horrible feeling of lost potential of like, it was, they've been playing like that for four quarters. They were probably going to be winning that game. Yeah, you know, I, I don't mind that being the base plan. It's just recognizing when the personnel through injury or otherwise have changed, that that plan isn't going to work. If Chris Carson was still healthy, if Rashad Penny, and Chris Carson were still healthy and their offensive line was, uh, I'd say a little bit healthier than what's here because they lost a couple of players, uh, both before and during the game. Yes, it would have worked. I think that game plan was working for the first half of the season, but you just got to recognize that when the chips go against you, you need to make adjustments. You look at a coach like Doug Pedersen, he did make adjustments. He did manage to basically corral an injured team into being an effective force, albeit you know they eventually get too injured. Whereas with Seattle, they just it just never feels like they're actually willing to do that. No, of course, of course. And sure, we'll go over and have a look at some questions from the listeners. So we're going to quickly do two questions from the listeners this week just because we are in a little bit of tightness for time. So one, will the Bengals waste Joe Burrow? Y- yes. Yeah, just because just the, organ- the organization is a bit bad. I don't think he'll be terrible. Um, I think he's a very uh, he, he, he's not a physical superstar, but he's very smart. He likes to learn the system. I think Zach Taylor will have a lot more fun with Joe Burrow than how Danny Dalton because I think Joe Burrow has the anticipation mm-hmm. and that kind of I suppose, nerdiness that people like. He's been compared to people like Joe Montana and mm-hmm. Tom Brady. He's not going to blow the doors off like a, a Pat Mahomes or Lamar. These kind of freaks. Well, but, 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 but he, he did just put up what, like seven touchdowns in the in in the college football semi-final or final or yeah exactly he's had a ridiculous year with LSU albeit he, he had much too much experience before that um, but yeah I think Zach Taylor he comes from the Sean McVay school 
it's a fairly QB friendly system and I think he's certainly smarter than Jared Goff so I can definitely see him being able to expand more upon that and if they can keep AJ Green and they have Tyler Boyd and maybe get a tight end then you know I think they could be an okay team ah, they're not going to turn into a championship team let's be, let's be honest everyone, right? so they're not, they're not going to keep AJ Green AJ Green's going to go they're going to use Tyler Boyd because they've paid him already they're going to use John Ross in the AJ Green speed role he'll be back from injury they've got Mixon who's a good running back as well so that's already three good pieces to build around him like basically if they just invest heavily in an offensive line once they've picked this guy up and then just try and build from there I think they're fine there won't be they're probably not like top end by any stretch of the imagination but like look he's a good quarterback prospect probably one of the better ones coming out in a while why not yeah the the one advantage he has is the Bengals expectations are never really high for them so Mm. He should. He will be given multiple years to stink the place up too badly. Yeah, like it's essentially the civil service of uh, of, of, of quarterbacking <laughs> jobs. Of like, no, oh, you've got a job for life as long as you don't kick up too much of a fuss. Um, finally, uh, another question comes in. I'm guessing this is probably Ian. Philly is on all or nothing this year. Will you be watching? probably they're airing it after the Super Bowl so we'll have a big long patch of having no football so I'll probably yeah I probably will be watching um, I'm intrigued to see a few bits like I'm, I'm really really interested to see the episode where they have like the the game week where they basically were looking at having McCown run out as like a 41 year old wide receiver because they were that short of players well we don't have time to talk about it now but maybe there might be some off season football uh some interesting stuff coming from the X. Oh yeah, yeah, but we're going to have, we're going to have, a, we're, we're going to have our own entire uh, uh, <laughs> our, 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 like two podcasts a week, one dedicated to the NFL, one to the XFL. Um, but yeah, those games kick off. But yeah, soonish. But uh, we'll, we'll talk about that at a future time. But yeah, Philly, all or nothing. It was a very interesting season for Philly, so it should at least be an interesting series. Um, probably catch up at some point over the summer. It's probably one of those ones you put in the back burner and just kind of see when you're kind of interested in. But I think putting it now rather than actually releasing it in the summer is probably better because, you know, this is around, around the time we're actually interested in football. Yeah, like the problem is they used to, they used to release it at times in a clash with either like Hard Knocks, which is more immediate than watching last year's season, or like around the draft when everyone was looking at the potential for their new team. So now is the perfect time. There's a dead space of about eight to ten weeks here, so uh, it'll be good. So I suppose we'll knock over and have a look at our picks for next week, our game previews. Okay, so first up, we're going to have a look at the AFC Championship, Tennessee at Kansas City. Uh, We've both gone for Kansas City in this one. So this is going to be, I think, a pretty interesting game. I've been very afraid of Tennessee for the last couple of weeks. I've been quite vocal about it on the podcast. I think this is a team that I didn't want to see. I said I'd prefer to play the Pats in them. I said I'd prefer to play pretty much anyone than them after they beat the uh, they won their first round game. Uh, yeah, like Derek Henry is playing incredibly well. Uh, our weakness in Kansas City is going to be run defense. So that's obviously a big knock. Now, we've got a couple of players in who are going to help that. I think uh, Pinnell is in now who was injured when we played them last. And also Suggs is there who's good at setting an edge. Uh, the question mark is obviously whether Jones will be back in to help stuff up the middle and stuff. Um, the concern is going to be, can Tennessee play the game that they want to play? Can they get ahead and then just lean on uh, Derrick Henry in this game? Is their defense good enough to do that? And if they end up a little bit behind, is their offense, particularly their more speed offense running through Tannehill, got the ability to do that? That's where I think they're going to fall down in this respect, in that I think 
even if they get ahead, Kansas City, as we saw in the last game, can score really, really quickly. They've got good they've, well, they've got good special teams when they're not fumbling the ball, so maybe just stop returning balls for a while. But like they have they have they, they have good returners, they have good to decent special teams, they have a very explosive offense. Like I can see them forcing Tennessee out of their comfort zone in this game. And once Tennessee have to start airing it out, then they're going to hit some problems because we've got a much improved secondary, even with the Juan Thornhill being missing. Like some of the analysis stuff on what Honey Badger was doing in the last game was just remarkable. Like just the level that he's playing at at the moment. There's like, this is a team that if they get to play their game can quite easily beat Kansas City. The thing is, I think we're at the level and I think coaching as well, we're at that level where I think we're going to be able to stop them from being able to play the game that they want to play. Yeah, I think the big question mark for me is, has Andy Reid been studying that, I suppose, we'll say New England branch defense to find out what they need to do to feed it? Because obviously, going all the way back to last season, Matt Patricia talked about, uh, you know, created a defense that seemed to slow down Kansas City and... And then New England used that in the playoffs, and that's obviously part of the reason why Kansas City didn't win that game, although they got going mm. later in that game. Um, they haven't had too many opportunities to go against a similar offense while all being healthy this season. So there's always going to be mitigating factors, lots of their game, through injuries and stuff like that, suspension and stuff like that. Um, so now we're back in the playoffs. You're back against Brable, obviously a, a, a Belichick disciple. Is that zone based on like defense that or like that kind of concept and stuff like that? Is that going to work again, or is Andy been spending all off season and all season cooking up something special designed to exploit that and um, to work that, or has he been prepping Tannehill, sorry, prepping Mahomes and the rest of the team to just come up with a more conservative game plan and maybe required to defeat it in the first place? So well, I think that's a really interesting fight there, considering the history that's going to be going on between the Belichick disciple slash Belichick defences and Mahomes for the last year where they haven't completely shut him down of course you just can't mm. shut down Mahomes but they have slowed him down compared to what he's been doing against teams like Houston for example oh, but it was interesting because if you look at if you look at the if you look at the game plan that Houston tried to run against them they tried to run exactly that they did a lot of press man they did a lot of that kind of like cover the middle stuff send four to five but like don't overcommit. so they tried to follow that plan to it so there is definitely the the the, the yeah, but the, the big sell before it was, was was the press man stuff, and it's now changing a little bit at least. I think Bill O'Brien, he, he was obviously an offensive coordinator, not a defensive coordinator. Obviously, Patricia and Vrabel and Belichick, of course, himself, would have a much deeper understanding of that, whereas Bill O'Brien would be you know deferring to his defensive coordinator mm-hmm. much more. So I think that that, that may be... And obviously, the, the, let's be honest, Houston defense, their talent is a lot lower than the Tennessee Titans. Uh, not that Tennessee Titans have a brilliant defense, but... They have a lot more talent, and they have a Dory Jackson back now, even if he's up and down. Logan Ryan's been playing really well recently. Um, so I, I think it's just an interesting matchup. It's an interesting question because I think it's a, it's a long-running storyline for people who are nerds about this type of stuff, about whether Andy Reid can figure this out and finally put together a game plan that can defeat this defense. Because I, I think he can. I think, you know, given all of the scenarios that have happened, um, I think their 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 game, sorry, their like their, their their playbook is probably still fresh. There's a lot of stuff there that they haven't really had the chance to unleash yet due to Mahomes' injuries and such. So I'll be really interested to see if they could do that and start 
pummeling that stuff down. Because if we do see something like the 2018 KCR offense against most teams, it'll be an easy game. Because I think if they end up having, if Tennessee end up having to rely on Tannehill to do non-play action where he has to carry the game himself, I don't think that will work uh, nearly as well. Um, and I think you know I wouldn't count them out in that scenario. I think they can come back if they have to, maybe. But I think KC, because of their offense, can always stay one step ahead of you once they do get that step ahead of you. So mm. it's a really interesting matchup. I think you're right that this is. This could go either way, but I think given it's an arrowhead and the advantage that gives you with that crowd noise and all that situation, and given that you know this defense will be going all out to stop Henry, I assume, and maybe risk giving a, a touchdown away early, which obviously they did against mm. Houston, um, it, I think KC can get it done. Um, I just don't think this talent, like this Tennessee team, their defense is at that Belichick level in terms of talent level, and maybe those just those few chinks in terms of talent might be enough to defeat it, even if they struggle a little bit. Yeah, no, of course. So I have it, I, I reckon that it'll start a bit, sh- like not, not massively similar from last game, start a little bit shaky, maybe kind of go tit for tap, maybe someone goes up a score, but then Chiefs start to build a little bit of a lead and then they can lean on it and get some 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 shots. So I think I have this, but with the Chiefs winning, and I hate saying this in advance of the game for Jinxian, I have the Chiefs winning by more than a score. I have them probably winning by close to two scores not the thing is I what, what what I can see happening is I can see maybe early fourth quarter it being within a score and then because they're forcing the guys to play a little bit from behind that maybe like you know a honey badger picks off uh, picks off uh, something or maybe Chris Jones gets a strip sack or something along those lines and then they're able to maybe put an additional score in there where it would have been the maybe the game tire and they just eat a lump of clock off at the end run a lump of like yeah. something like that but like that it, 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 it's it's not that it's a it's a two score difference it's just that that's just how the game flow goes yeah, and I'm going 21-28 because I think Tennessee will be able to chew a lot of clock. I think their run game will be successful. I think where they'll come into trouble and where Kansas City can get opportunities, you know, with Spags defense, they get those sacks, they get those turnovers, they get those big splash plays that kill drives dead. And if they can do that enough times and put Tennessee behind the eight ball, that's what their defense needs to do. I don't expect their defense to be able to, like, you know, they're not going to be, like, contain. Like, this is the contained situation. You can't contain Henry. You need to go in and focus on getting those big plays, particularly getting to Tannehill if you can. And if you can do that, I think Kansas City have the playmakers like well, like Money Badger, like Frank Clark, uh, like Chris Jones if he's healthy. Get it dead behind the eight ball and turn, like, good Tennessee drives into field goals, not touchdowns. If they could do that enough, I think they'll, they'll win this game. So I have 21-28, but I think a lot of clock will be run by long Henry drives but not enough of those will end up being touchdowns for Tennessee to get it done. Yeah, what, I, what I'd be concerned about, just as an aside, would just be that they'll think that that's a way to do it and they might stick to that longer than they should so that they might end up doing, maybe running some long drives in maybe late in the third, start of the fourth, where actually what they need to be doing is playing more tempo and then they realise, because it's not, it's not a team where you can kind of go, right, we'll stop them three times and then that means if we score one of those three times, it's good. This is one where you have to go pace for pace, or you need to be stopping. Like, and that's that's where my concern would be. So my my guess is twenty four thirty seven, which is probably more than I was initially thinking. Uh, I might need to reassess that one, but that's yeah, that's what I've gotten down. So that's what I'm going to stick with. Um, next up, Green Bay at San Francisco. We disagree on this one. My head tells me the correct answer is the 49ers, and on paper it's the 49ers. But 
I just have this feeling. <laughs> I just have this feeling that Green Bay are going to do it. There's that little bit of like the beautiful parody thing of it's the 100 years of the NFL and this will be a repeat of Super Bowl one. Um, there's this element of Green... Kansas City win, of course. Oh, yeah, 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 of course. Um, but there's, there's, there's also this element of, uh, you know, because you know that whole kind of like, oh, look, so much has changed. Yeah. But it's still the same teams, but even the results have changed. Oh, change, no change, change. Um, but yeah, this Green Bay team, I said, didn't put together a complete game the last day, showed flashes of bits that were good. They have the skill to be able to do it. The strength of the San Francisco team is not their offense, it's their pass rush. They're on a backup right tackle in Green Bay who played incredibly well for them and actually didn't allow a single pressure in the game uh, last week. They have the line to protect. They have the quarterback who knows how to draw aggressive pass rushers off and how to deal with that kind of coverage and pressure. They don't maybe have the receivers that they want to have, but like, you know, you know people like Equiminius St. Brown and I'm sure other people with equally hilarious names can definitely provide coverage for that kind of stuff. This is... It's... A, it's a game that San Francisco should win, but I just think that Green Bay might eke it out. If Green Bay win, I don't think the core, the key player in that success will be Aaron Rodgers. I think it will be Aaron Jones. If they can get the run game going, and we know that Aaron Jones, if you give him a hole, can anyway, uh, give him a hole, <laughs> he can take it. He can take it all the way. To the end zone. He's an explosive player. He's a dynamic player. He, he he's really good in the red zone. He had a ridiculous number of touchdowns this year. So I think like if Green Bay do win this game, which I don't expect, so obviously I don't believe they'll get the run game going. But if they get the run game going, make Rogers only break Rogers out in emergency or on play action, then yes, I, the Green Bay Packers could definitely win this game. But I just see the San Francisco D line. And this entire defense, they got Quan Alexander back as a huge speed element in terms of stopping the run game. They get D Ford back, huge element in terms of getting the quarterback like that instantaneously, giving the pressure, giving the tackles problems that allow the likes of Nick Boza to sneak in and also cause havoc. And, you know, you look at the secondary, hopefully, well, perhaps they will stop playing a Kellen Witherspoon who ended up actually fulfilling my prophecy of being one of the worst defensive backs in football and stick with stick with the guy who came in and was pretty good. Like, Richard Sherman is fine there. And, like, the secondary is still only fine, but it's, they don't need to be more than fine if the defensive line and linebackers do their job well by stopping the run and getting to the opposing quarterback. So I just saw in San Francisco a team that was returning to the type of form we saw earlier in 2019 where they were the best team in football. Now, where they might get into trouble is with Jimmy G. Yes, I was about to say, yeah. Jimmy G played very badly in the last game. Hasn't looked incredible. They have a 100% like all pro, pro bowl type tight end in in Kittle. He is excellent. I don't love a lot of what they have outside of that. Like, yes, Sanders has been decent for them, and it's uh, Samuel is the other chap that's there. Debo. Yeah, Debo, and like, it's yeah, it's it's okay, but like, he's not been hitting them. He's not been getting the production there. Their running backs have been good, yes, but like, Jimmy G has not been very strong. This Green Bay defense has shown up at times in games, shown up to be very good. Like, they're streaky and they're inconsistent. But, like, 
in my head, that's kind of a little bit of what the what the playoffs are about. It's about these streaky, inconsistent teams who can maybe pull it together in a big instance like this. Um, like I just, yeah, I again, it's just that thing of like San Francisco are the better team, but I kind of think they're going yeah. to lose because I think when the chips are down, I would trust. Aaron Rodgers to figure something out. When the chips are down, I would trust Jimmy G to throw it at Kittle even if he's double covered and get picked off by someone who shouldn't have any business picking that ball off. Like, it's interesting. I just looked at the scores that we predicted for this game. We both think San Francisco can only score 24 points in this game. Yeah, well, I, I think to, 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 to me, that's a deliberate choice. They are a team that's going back to their early season formula. They're going to run the ball a lot, chew up a lot of clock that way through their three-headed monster, and they're a pretty good, okay offensive line. And obviously we know that Kittle makes a huge difference in the run game as well. So I think regardless of which team is up, uh, unless San Francisco go way down the hole, then uh, they're they're going to keep running the ball. And Green Bay, as I say, under the floor, are a more balanced team. They are leading on Aaron Jones more as the year's gone on, and I think that's definitely helped them. So I think both these teams are probably trying to play to a certain extent, the same game plan. They're both mm. going to want to establish the run and allow their quarterback to be mostly a passenger. But I suppose if it does become a close game and it is really just a question of which quarterback makes the best of, best use of their play-action mm. opportunities or if they need to make a bit of a comeback, yeah, I would trust Aaron Rodgers more in that scenario. He just has that X factor that Jimmy G just yeah. kind of feels he doesn't have. But I just think San Francisco, the disparity in talent, particularly on that defensive line and their ability mm. to get home, even though Green Bay do have Zedarius Smith and Preston Smith, who've been pretty good, it's just that complete package from San Francisco. I could see getting to Rodgers just too much, rattling him. And if they if they put Richard Sherman covering Devontae Adams, I just don't know where their other production is. So, uh, you know, even though Green Bay have that reputation, obviously, from Aaron Rodgers, I think in the end, both these teams will end up doing very similar types of things. Um, I think they'll both be trying the same game plan. It's just a matter of who's kicked out of it more uh, as the game goes on. But I think San Francisco have shown that at their best, when they, uh, at their best, are way, way more able to consistently operate and operationalize what they're planning to do, whereas Green Bay too often feel like, you know, they can get knocked off their pace a little bit too easily at times this year. So I think San Francisco, with their consistency throughout the season, once they've got all their players in, means that they are, you know, they've probably been the second best team in football in the regular season beyond the uh, Baltimore Ravens. So I just think they... Yeah, I've, I just have to give it to you. Fair enough. Like I always, I always think there's like, it's always prophetic that there's songs written about this. Like if you're going to San Francisco, make sure to wear Le Fleur in your hair. Like this is <laughs> this is definitely. I mean, it, is, it is a Rogers Revenge game, of course. Oh yeah, this it's is going to be famously passed him over for the number one overall pick when he was uh, yeah. didn't take it very well. And then they took the much better quarterback, Alex Smith. You know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, of course, Rogers gave his own prophecy at that point as well, saying, "You know, the the reporter asked, uh, you know, <clears throat> do, like, do you regret, like, do you think San Francisco re- regret, you know, not picking you? Yeah, he just like, yeah. Uh, so I think uh, he 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 he's obviously he's actually lost two times in the playoffs with him already, so it's not really fair. But this is the biggest stage he's faced the San Francisco Forty ers so we'll see if he gets the ultimate revenge as his. Oh, of and like and obviously obviously this is the thing. Will depending depending on which teams get through, there'll be storylines aplenty because like him dropping out here is going to be another continuation of the. He's only got one ring and like is he kind of a waste of talent? Is he overrated? All that kind of stuff. Um, San Fran is obviously the new upstart stuff and. 
Yeah, like we'll talk about that more in the upcoming weeks instead of on this one. But um, I think it is it is probably an important one now this year and next year for uh, Rogers his positioning in the all times to try to probably push through and at least get to if not win another Super Bowl. You know, um, but we'll see, we'll yeah. see. So any plans with yourself for the next little while? Yeah, well, uh, nothing too busy. Like just back at work at the moment. Uh, I think I've got a few messages from, as I said, our, our mutual friend Lorna, because I live in Cork. It's like, please, anyone in Cork, come do the political thing. So I'll probably end up being brought into that at some point. But uh, other than that, uh, keeping it pretty quiet and obviously looking forward to some uh, really, really good matchups here. On, yeah, uh, these are these are these weekend. are two tasty ass fucking games. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm. Uh, I have to. You have to have to have a chat probably tomorrow and work and see about what days I can book off. I know I can book off the. Uh, the day after the Super Bowl, so that's fine. But I'm kind of looking at this going, like, I can stay up and I can watch the Tennessee-Kansas City Chiefs game and still go into work the following day. But if I could get the day off, I could probably watch both uh, live instead <laughs> of... Uh... But then the problem is I'd also have to... I'd probably want to find somewhere where I could watch it live because I'd torture my wife by, uh, you know, being in the sitting room probably with two or three Yanks who are around here and just yeah. shouting at the television going, no! Like, the, the Chiefs is the early game, but I yeah. assume for that means that it's like 2 a.m. in the morning. Yeah, I think it's like, I think, I think the Chiefs game last week ended at around half two or so here, so, uh, yeah, it's still, 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 yeah. still late enough now, we'll say. As we're recording, it is around 8 o'clock our time, so it is literally just a, a few, literally uh, 24 hours uh, units a few days away. Uh, so Yeah, that'll be, it'll, it'll be good fun now, we'll see. So according um, to that, it will be around 11 o'clock you'll be starting. Yeah, yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's 11 or 11.05 kickoff, isn't it? So... Uh, that would be good, but we got we got a nice telly in the house, and it's 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 a nice spot, and you know, uh, people seem to stay up much later here. Anyway, they get up later and they stay up later. That the 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 day isn't the kind of it's not really the the, the kind of like you know the the traditional like eight to ten kind of thing that we have in the west. It's a lot more kind of like midday till three a.m. kind of thing, uh, which to be honest, sounds great to me. But because I work in the university, we work Western hours, so I'm still up at uh, you know at the door at half seven in the morning. So. Whiskey's big over there as well, you know. Mm. Connor currently enjoying a bit of Bushmills, uh, so oh yeah, it's very lovely. very local cultural, you know. Mm. <laughs> Connor running off his Irish uh, procured supplies, I'm assuming for the next couple of months. Uh, um, they yeah, eventually we, run out. we we have some Irish, uh, but there's also or, the um there, there's one or two of the shops locally do some of the Irish ones. Well, I say in Irish ones, they are they are versions of the Irish ones that taste like them, but are almost certainly not actually them. But uh, to be honest, I don't give a shit because they cost about fifteen dollars, and I'm not importing it from Ireland because I don't know who to bribe. So uh, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty much it. But yeah, I think uh, finish up the back to work after Christmas was tough. It's been a tough long week, so I'm looking forward to a weekend of chilling out. I think we got some board games, got some American football, got some drinking, and got some dancing. So uh, that sounds like a lovely weekend to me. Yeah, sounds great. <laughs> so as always, fire in your questions. Next week's going to be fun because next week's we're going to be pure preview, pure questions, and pure reflection. Hey, hey, Connor, you know what comes after this week? Oh my God, Pro Bowl hype! Pro, Pro Bowl! Ah, I'm looking forward to that. That's going to be awesome. I forgot. See, it's a rare occasion I forget the Pro Bowl because this year my team might not be good enough to get to play in it. Yeah, and you know, like. That, that's the biggest shame of all, of course. You know, you'd love to see your players in the best 
game in the world. But, oh yeah, yeah, the most important. You know, the, the, Super, the Super Bowl, you know, like they, they only get that every once a few years, so we'll, we'll give them a chance. You know? Yeah, no, of course, it's, you know, it's fun. It's it's to let some of the other players have a shot at the Pro Bowl. Yeah, really and all cool. those Patriots who, who've you know been avoiding the game for so long, it's you know mm. good to see them finally get a chance to, right. to enjoy the Pro Bowl experience. Yeah, like I really want to see uh, Julian Edelman there. See how he gets on. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so I suppose, as always, you can hit us up for questions on Facebook, Twitter, uh, email, wherever you can find it. If you find contact details, just just message. We'll see what we're up to. Um, I hope you enjoy the games. They should be class. But for now, it's uh, bye from myself, bye from Fitz. Bye. It's been all four quarters. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll chat to you next week. Bye.